Open, outspoken. It's ophthalmology off the grid. An honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Today's episode was recorded live at Millennial Line Live in Louisville. For this special edition of the podcast, our host, Dr. Gary Wirtz, was joined on stage by Drs. Bill Wiley and Lance Ferguson. In this interview, they discuss recent cuts to cataract surgery reimbursement and offer historical perspectives on how drastic cuts have been over the past few decades. They also cover practical solutions for managing a practice amidst reimbursement cuts and weigh in on the different ways surgeons can add value to their service offerings. Coming up on Off The Grid. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast produced by Bryn Mawr Communications and supported by advertising from Alcon. For a full listing of podcasts for eye care professionals, go to itube.net forward slash podcasts. That's itube, E-Y-E, T-U-B-E dot net. This is our third Ophthalmology Off the Grid live. Uh, we had Ike Ahmed. Uh, first, we had Blake Williamson last year, and now I'm so excited to share the stage with Lance Ferguson, my partner, and Bill Wiley. So, um, yeah, we're really, really happy to be doing this. Today, we're going to be talking about something that I think is a really hot topic in ophthalmology. Um, it's probably hot for the wrong reasons. We love talking about technology. We love talking about advances in ophthalmology. How do we treat patients? How do we take care of our, ourselves and our business? But I think one topic we have to talk about as ophthalmologists, especially with a lot of anterior segment surgeons, is the recent cuts in cataract reimbursement. Uh, this is something that we've, if you've been around ophthalmology for a while, we've seen this this almost slow and steady burn from the 1980s. And just a few years ago, we got a big cut, and I kind of felt like, okay, we, we survived the big cut. They're going to they're gonna sort of lay off us, and hopefully this it'll be like this and won't get worse. Um, I feel like this recent 15% cut was sort of another gut punch. Um, what I'd like to do is I'd just kind of like um, you guys to give me a little bit. Maybe we can start with Lance. Um, Lance is my partner at Commonwealth Eye Surgery. He um, has been my mentor since I was a resident. I used to sneak out of pediatric ophthalmology rotations and go watch Lance operate. I got to see what it was like in the real world. So I would, I, I can't encourage skipping out of residency rotations, but if you can find someone in your local area, if you're a resident that is a private practice ophthalmologist doing good work, it's very important that you go shadow them. And so for me, it ended up with me having my dream job and getting to work with someone I really enjoy. Uh, but Lance, why don't you start by just giving us a little bit of a historical background on where cataract surgery was when you got out of training and what you've seen over the years. Okay, um, well, first of all, I think that's really smart to go mentor people. Uh, the Faulkners in Cincinnati did the same thing. And those prospective employers are interested in residents who are interested. So, you know, you, you get your name out there early, that's important. I started practice in 1985, and the reimbursement for cataract surgery at that time was $1,800. And although I didn't use this, they also paid the assistant surgeon. There was an assistant surgeon 
$400 to put drops on the eye during the case and perhaps nowhere to use a Wexel sponge to sop things up for the surgeon. And when I was driving over from Lexington this morning, I looked at the, uh, the inflation calculator, and that comes out to just under $5,400 per case today. Now, I, I, I challenge anybody in the audience to find some work, line, or profession that over the last 30 years is reimbursing you at 10% of what they reimbursed you and, and to have this many people still engaged. And the reason is quality. If you look at the cases in those days, and quality is a very difficult uh, index to measure. Um, American College of Eye Surgeons, we try to, it's, it's a little abstruse. Uh, there are some, you know, type of markers that we can, you know, first aid, visual acuity, cylinder. But our, the RBRVS system is flawed in that it's only based on time. And as we've gotten better and offered more and more, we're doing, you know, surgeries people are seeing 20, 20, one day out. Uh, as opposed to when I started, extra capsular surgery, 10 and a half millimeter incisions, seven sutures, uh, uh, you know, six weeks recovery, PMMA lenses with holes in them, and it's so much better to see this entire progression. But it's also exciting because I, Monday morning, Gary calls me every evergreen, but my feet are running before they hit the ground Monday morning, and I'm an old guy. You know, I, I just got Medicare at 65, and I told Gary, I'm 65, and, and he, said, he said, how are you seeing <laughs> of course, that's what a cataract surgeon says to anyone who turns right. 65. And I said, I'm, 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 glare seeing fine. I'm seeing fine, Gary. And he says, glare testing? Yeah. Is glare testing right now? Yeah, I mean, give me a night. You could have that. I know. Some type of thing. So I'm holding off. But the bottom line is we're doing much, much better work, and we're being reimbursed less and less for it. And if you've, did everybody see the Academy um, video on this last round of negotiations? It's really pretty good. And they, they, they worked as hard as they could. But it's, it's, it's a flawed system because it doesn't include quality. The fact that it only includes time, it doesn't behoove us to say I can do the case in five minutes. Okay, it is not good. Ophthalmology has got a great big target on its chest with Medicare. We're the largest consumer of the Medicare dollar of all the specialties. So we've got a big target on our chest. And the other thing that I saw is I wondered who the winners were. And our orthopedic fellow brethren, um, they actually got a raise, and they got a raise for laminectomy and disectomies. And I don't know if they have undergone the same type of technological advancement as cataract surgery. So we need to be our own advocates in that regard. And uh, that gives us kind of a perspective. We're making 10% of what we do, and we're working twice as hard and doing a lot better. So where do we go from here? And I think the answer and uh, for everybody in this room is, is refractive cataract surgery. And we'll get a little bit more how we get started with that later. But, I think that that's, it will give you not only better care for your patients, you put your fingers together and put the patient at the top of that apex, you'll never go wrong. But if we do, if we do refractive cataract surgery, you will enjoy your life much more and you'll get a greater sense of professionalism. And we'll talk about that entry in a bit. Yeah. Bill, Bill when, this, when this cut came out, were you expecting it, number one? And number two, how is this going to impact your business? Because it's not like we can go to our employees and say, you're going to make 15% less. Right. We can't go to our industry partners and say, we're going to pay 85% of what we used to pay for all of our consumables. You know, all of our fixed costs remain fixed. Our overhead remains fixed. This 15% comes purely out of what's left over. Right. I mean, have you done the math, Gary? So let's say if the average cataract surgeon bills a million dollars in cataract surgery. And uh, let's say he takes home, the average surgeon makes 250000 And then if you say, okay, 15% less, you might think 15% drop of your 250000 
not the end of the world, they're still making good money, but the problem is you're taking it off that top line, and so you're taking 150,000 off that million dollars potentially, and now you go from 150 uh, to 100,000, and all of a sudden- yeah, two, 250 down to 100,000. Yeah, you you're, you're losing $150,000 of income. That's right, so that's basically, you're, you're taking a personal income hit of over 50% potentially, and I remember you know, uh, back when I started in 2002, we had a, uh, um, you know, a Medicare cut. And I think at that point we were making, let's say, $800 a cataract, and they cut us 5%. I looked at our business at that time, and we were almost all cataract at that time, or 100% cataract, and, and I was worried. I'm like, well, you know, 5%, I did the quick math. I'm like, I, I'll take a 5% haircut, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's going to be, at that point, it's going to be, let's say, going from 250 down to 200000 So it was you know, a pretty significant uh, haircut. I remember we're, you know, thinking, well, Maybe we've got to diversify, you know, our offerings. And when I started, we didn't have premium lenses. You, you didn't have an option uh, to have a cash-based sector. At that time, our practice was 100%, 100% insurance reimbursement. And when I look at our practice today, we're, we're basically, you know, 60% cash pay and rising. And uh, so you've got this now cash pay segment that you can set the price, and you can, and the, and you can, you know, you know, the market will set that price. What is your value to the market? And you have the ability to adjust that year to year, or day to day, if you wanted to. So now, all of a sudden, you're, you, you know, so we're taking a 15% haircut, but cataract surgery maybe is only a portion of what we're doing, and then it's only a portion of that payer mix. You know, you're you're taking it out of that, let's say, 40% insurance reimbursement part of, let's say, our practice. So I think diversification is really helpful. You know, you know, back then we didn't have, let's say, opticals in our practice. We didn't have cash pay, uh, premium lenses, we didn't have laser eye surgery uh, like we do now. So there's all these different diverse, uh, diverse areas of income. And to be honest, when I, when I heard that 15% haircut, I said, you know what, maybe this is gonna be a quicker, you know, pulling the Band-Aid off and we're gonna, it's gonna break the system and we can rebuild. You know, at some point we can't take that haircut anymore and it's gonna really force us to rebuild. And at that point, you know, do, do a lot of surgeons come out of this uh, you know, insurance reimbursement system? If you're 60% cash pay, you know, maybe you go to 100% cash pay at that point. I don't and that's, that's the interesting dichotomy as you look at this. On one hand, we have the benefit of refractive surgery, cash pay systems, and refractive cataract surgery. And it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to overstate how important that is to our business. If you're a resident or you're in training or you're um, a young ophthalmologist and you're thinking about just doing straight Medicare uh, standard cataract surgery, um, it's going to be hard to survive. Uh, Lance, what are your thoughts on adding refractive cataract surgery to your practice if you're either, let's say, on, on the one hand, just coming out of training, maybe you haven't had a lot of experience in that setting, and so developing your refractive skills, or you're mid-career and you've... You said, you know, at this point, I can't continue to, you know, function and, and run my business and care for my employees with this. How do you, how would you encourage people to sort of get started in, in this refractive game? Well, let's start with the residents first. You know, um, I don't know about you all, but when I got out, it was kind of hard for me to ask anybody to pay me for anything I did after, after being a resident so long. I just said, I'm going to get paid for this? I mean, it's, this has always been fun, but now we're actually getting paid for it. Um, your value to these individuals is much better than what you're probably receiving. You know, your sight's so precious, and, and I don't have to tell you all of the way the patients react to it. Um, so if I were a resident coming out right now, I would begin my plan to develop refractive cataract surgery. 
And I think that can be done with three easy steps. And you don't need a femtosecond laser. You don't need an eczema laser. You don't have to be doing 100 cases a week to tweak your LRI nomogram. I know many people are very reluctant about you know, doing peripheral AKs, and they've, they've never been taught that as a resident. So where do we start? And it's, it's really, a, I think, just a three-step process. I think the first thing you need to do is determine your surgically induced astigmatism. You need to know your SIA right off the bat, not only superiorly and laterally and temporally, because you need to operate on axis. That's your first step in learning how to do this. There's going to be, you use your regular Ks, and I know there's some residual astigmatism unless you're using like the Callisto or something of that sort. But you get on axis, you'd be surprised at the amount of people that you can get down to within a less a half diopter cylinder. Also, I'd like you to try and consider using different size keratomes. You know, I don't want to interfere with your technique, but the 3.2 at 12 o'clock is going to give you about three quarters against the rule. Um, you'll change the size of your incision, provided you keep the geometry stable. You won't have any wound leaks, as long as that box looks the same as far as your incision goes. So you should know that flat out. That's step one. Step two is you have to have access, not own, but have access to an eczema laser and PRK skills. And I think Dr. Eiferman here in Louisville is actually incorporating the residents. They come and watch us, but I think because of some liability issues, they're not allowed to actually participate. But they're actually going to be doing that, and I think all the residency positions. But if you didn't get that in your residency, find a mentor. It's not that difficult as far as a technical skill is concerned, but you need to have that in your bag of tricks. You need that in your armamentarium. And then the third step is, is after you do those things, is to move to torx and actually move to specialty lenses. And, and that's a little bit farther down the road. So now we've got a person that says, okay, I can get you, if you were, and don't talk 20, 20, 20, 30, can you do the majority of your visual tasks at distance uncorrected? And that's what I am selling you as far as a premium experience. Um, if, I, if we can get you to do the majority of your physical tasks at distance or near, and I can get you there, but you've got to have a way to touch it up. You've got to be able to advance you know, your more than just doing a placement of your incision. You have to buff that cornea out to make sure you get them there. And then once that happens, you can begin charging for it. And I think you'll have to eat it a little bit as far as the PRK goes. But man, they charge five to eight hundred bucks for a PRK. You figure a ten percent uh, enhancement rate, then you have to add eighty dollars to your procedure. But I think that's a great way to start. You don't have to make a huge investment. You can simply stay with what you're doing, operate on axis, and then correct it with a PRK. Yeah, those are all all great ideas, and and I think um, <clears throat> um, operating on axis and looking at astigmatism is definitely underutilized. Yeah, I remember. When I was training, it was before we had IOL Masters, we just had manual keratotomy and, uh, and, and um, keratometry. And I'd ask the residents below me, I'd say, okay, well, what are the cases? They'd say, oh, 44 by 46. I'd say, what axis? And they're like, well, I didn't check the axis. Is this 44 by 46? At that point, we didn't even really care what the steep axis was. And uh, I remember thinking, well, gosh, cataract, every cataract surgery you do is truly refractive surgery. And you should look at it that way, even if when they're paying, if they're not hang out of pocket, just look at that eye, look at where the astigmatism is, where it is, where, uh, where can you operate, where can you reduce that, and get good at every case you're doing, and then when you start charging, you're going to have that confidence that you'll get them to where they need to be. Um, other things that are potentially paradigm shifts that will kind of potentially level the playing field as far as technology and skill set is uh, a new lens that we've been using called uh, RxSight, or the Light Adjustable Lens. And what's cool about that is you, know, you don't need 
you know, necessarily, or you don't need fancy uh, preoperative diagnostics, you don't need a femtosecond laser, you just put this lens in, and all you need is a light delivery device that could be housed at the uh, surgery center. Uh, you come back two or three weeks later and use light to adjust that lens to fit the eye, and you can hit almost any refraction that patient is desiring. So I can see that type of technology really leveling the playing field and letting almost any surgeon that is doing cataract surgery to offer a, a premium outcome and not necessarily have to worry about a torque lens in alignment and positioning or a multifocal lens, or they're gonna have glare, halo, and do you have a skill set to touch them up or access to a laser to touch them up? So I see that the light, uh, the light adjustable lens may truly be a paradigm shift, getting a lot of surgeons into the market for uh, uh, premium advanced cataract surgery. So I think another point to all this, I just wanna share a little bit of my story, um, and we're kinda of talking about walking before you run. You know, and, and as soon as you get out of training, it's very easy to want to be immediately have all the toys, all the technology. You kind of feel like there's this starting price uh, or this there's fee to entry to become a refractive surgeon. So when I came out of training, I immediately bought an Exmor laser. I bought, uh, I, I equipped a nice office, fancy furniture. Expensive Exmor laser. Expensive, expensive. Um, I had, you know, an OCT, a fundus camera, way too much equipment. And I realized pretty quickly that that stuff doesn't always pay for itself. Now, it can if you're smart about it, if you have an established practice, you add a piece of equipment to your established practice, yes, that's a good way to go about it. But I would, I would encourage anyone who's starting a practice or starting out to, to be very, very cautious because what we're talking about here is overhead. And that's the other side of the coin. You know, there's one thing we really can't control individually um, what we're paid for cataract surgery other than doing the refractive piece. What we do have control of and is the other side of the coin is overhead. And that's something that I think, you know, Lance, you've really shown me the way on this. Uh, managing your overhead. What are your thoughts on that? About taking technology and using it for long periods of time, as long as you know, long extending useful life. I mean, what's your philosophy on that? Because I feel like by keeping expenses down, you can sort of insulate yourself against cuts in the future. Well, it's in that kind of investment's always a, a decision. We've been lucky. Gary terms it as wise as far as our purchases. Um, but I like to see, I like to be on the cutting edge, but not necessarily the bleeding edge. When I was your age, I was on the bleeding edge. I, I really wanted to try every new technology. But I think a stepwise approach is really the smartest thing. You need, to know, you, need, you need a team. You need to build an army. You need to have an accountant that understands depreciation. You need to make sure those things matter. Let's go back to Bill's thing. You're making a million bucks in uh, cataract revenues. You've got a 50% overhead. Okay, bam. You get a 15% cut. Now you're making 850, but guess what? The overhead didn't go down. In fact, it's going to go up because you've got to increase your cost to pay to keep successful people in your army around you. You're going to have an increased cost of supplies. I mean, BSS doubled in price. Dimox was a nickel a tablet. It's like 250 a tablet. You see sometimes 100% increases. So you really need to get your pencil sharpened to get down to that <laughs> before you make these big investments. So let's go back. Okay, 850 is still five. You know, so you're making $500,000 in the first instance. Now it's three fifty, dollars and the next time it's going to be under two. And, I, and I'm not saying, you know, that that's the only reason to do things, but I think everybody sitting out here is doing a good job is, is at least worth more than that when you look at these average, particularly when you compare it to many other professions and many other uh, items that people buy, jet skis or the latest computers. So 
get down, make sure you really look at everything, every line item, every line item in your practice that you do and say, can we do this better? Can it make more sense? Can we let people go home earlier? You know, are we, are we hitting, you know, why are we getting so much overhead here? Those are the things if you get a good team, a good practice manager around, but you have to be a driver in this. You have to sit down with these folks and really get this, this all ferreted out before you make these big investments. Otherwise, it'll bite you. Bill, what are your thoughts on advocacy? You know, I, I've been one who sort of watched from the sidelines. Of, you know, I see things happening, and, and, and um, I don't always know what I can do or what, what am I going to do as an individual to, to address this. So I thought this one thing I can do is I can lend my voice to this discussion. So that's kind of why I wanted to do this. But have you, do you have any thoughts on what we can do as a collective group to try to change the narrative that, you know, cataract surgery is easy, it's fast, and these guys and gals are making too much money, and we're just going to keep cutting them so we can keep um, making them work harder for, this, for the same or less amount of money. How do we change the narrative, and is that possible? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think it's, it can be hard as an individual to change that narrative, but um, you can join organizations that are like-minded, um, I'm a member of a society called Society for Excellence in Eye Care, and it's been strong with uh, advocacy in the past, particularly, I'd say, with uh, ophthalmology and optometry and co-management and things like that. And we've definitely moved the needle and helped push some initiatives. Uh, maybe we can do something with, uh, with these cuts, but then you have organizations like ASCRS or ACOS, um, other organizations that have like-minded individuals that maybe as a group we can help push that uh, uh, narrative uh, you know, in our direction. I think we do have to be careful as, as sort of a field. When we look at a lot of times our groups do sort of divide us as maybe the academy's leaning one way and ASCRS is leaning another way and we start to think, okay, well, how do we really get on the same page? And I think we do have some opportunities to bring some of the organizations together on big initiatives like this when we're all thinking maybe uh, like-minded. But I think there are opportunities and I, I think you should look to your colleagues and see where are they grouping up to kind of have that collective dollar push that needle. So I remember back when I was in medical school and um, there was this, um, th there was sort of this narrative that there were too many anesthesiologists um, and anesthesiology is going to be the worst field to go into. And it was like all of a sudden, this because of this narrative, no one went into anesthesiology. Anesthesiology became like the easiest residency to go into. And then all of a sudden there was this vacuum of anesthesiologists, and it became, again, really competitive and a great field. I think we have to be a little bit careful when we hear a narrative and we start hearing people pushing the panic button to keep our feet under us and remember that, you know, the sky is not falling. You know, as much as this can hurt, as much as this is something that we need to insulate ourselves and protect ourselves against and do everything we can, we have to remember that and we're a little biased, but I strongly believe this is the most special field in all of medicine in terms of the way we impact people's quality of life. And wherever we can deliver some quality to patients like that, there's always going to be a market for it. So I'm, I just want to have, uh, an, you know, ask Lance and, and Bill, where, where do you see the opportunities in the future? You know, what makes you excited about where ophthalmology is going? I don't want this just to be all, you know, doldrums about, you know, cataract surgery, but where, what are you excited about in the future? Yeah, great thing. I mean, I think regardless, we're still in the greatest field of medicine, and, and, and it's, there's huge opportunities. You look at 
where we've come and where we're going. There's so many great uh, you know, technologies that are available. And I look at the cash pay segment, it's basically it allows the market to set our value. And if we can determine a better product, a better way to see, you know, see distance or near or have whatever kind of vision or lifestyle, and if we can achieve that, you know, the market will pay and we'll be reimbursed. So we're in a great, great position. With that in mind, I think there's opportunities as we're getting cut. You know, look at where are some other revenue sources or ways to kind of make you know, the ends meet. And I see that working with uh, industry, there's opportunity. You know, basically, every chart we have is valuable based in the data that's there. And I think if you can take advantage and track your data, share your data, report your data, uh, I think there's ways you can do you know, investigator-initiated trials and work with an industry sponsor. You know, now that there is this cash pay option, industry is looking at that and saying, gosh, well, yeah, we want to push this narrative, but we need the data to help us. You know, they're looking for us, and I think it's you know, the ball's in our court to be, be able to work with them uh, to help develop those new technologies. And so, so certainly as we're getting cut in one area, I think there's other opportunities in other areas, and we have to keep our uh, minds open and, like Gary said, not just focus on the negative there. Yeah, those are all good comments. I think, you know, if I were coming out right now, the first thing I would recommend you do is get involved in a group. Get involved with ACOS or CEDAR or ASCRS or C. I'm a member of C. I'm kind of a Boy Scout with ACES as far as trying to, you know, continually perfect. And like I said, I've been doing this 35 years, and it really is the best field in medicine. I saw a slide from Stephen Dell one time, and he put it up, and he said, the worst day in ophthalmology is better than the best day in internal medicine. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. Yes. So we're very lucky in that regard. So how do we do this? How, we had a lot of smart people in this room and, and a lot of motivated people. How do we do this? Well, I think this, you start with a society and then we get a consortium and then we look at other models. And I'm actually going to have Gary comment a little bit about this because he came back from one of his think tanks and said, what about conclusive models when we can make prices transparent? And you say, and, and you know, Horrors, let's think about bilateral, sequential, same-day surgery. Now, the downside of that is that, you know, if we have a mistake or, you know, as far as a, a hyperopic surprise on a post-RK patient, we put two lenses in. It's less and less and less. Our, our enhancement rate on refractive cataract surgery is very, very low. It's like, you know, 0.7 to 1.5%. It's very, very, it's much less than regular refractive surgery, but that may be an offing. The reason people don't do it, there's certainly risks involved. But it's been done in Canada, and if it's done sequentially and with a new room and a new set, it's basically like having a separate, sec a separate surgery on the same day. But that may be part of a future model, and I think you, I'm going to let you run with this because yeah. you had some ideas on yeah. that. So I, I think about efficiency, and that's, that's where we can drive more patients through. I mean, at some point, you know, as the baby boomer population um, comes, of, comes of age, you know, there are more cataracts to be done. So we're going to have to think about increasing efficiencies. And I think bilateral sequential cataract surgery is the future. I think it's something that uh, most of the, the people coming out of training will see uh, definitely in their lifetime, but I'm guessing in the next five to ten years, I think it's going to become the new, uh, the new normal. Uh, but what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to have some level of negotiation uh, that we're not going to take a 50% cut on the second procedure because it's the same amount of work and it's the same amount of risk and it's the same amount of cost. So we, we can't do this if we're going to take a 50% cut. It's going to have to be a par rate. Um, so that's something that I, I'm advocating for. Um, there's, some, there's been some studies um, from Kaiser Permanente in the U.S. Uh, they're a capitated system, so reimbursement doesn't matter as much in that system. They're all about efficiency, but they're looking at 
you know, huge numbers of patients who've done great in, in office-based uh, settings as well. So um, I'm much more of a fan of the ASC side of that. But regardless, there is a lot of opportunity to increase our efficiency, especially when we look at post-op exams and pre-op exams and not having the patient coming back for so many visits. We can see them, get them taken care of, and they're on their way. The other part of this that I'm, I think um, as I'm evaluating this is I really think that this is an opportunity for us all to, to really embrace MIGS. Um, we had some great talks this weekend about uh, the technology that's coming of age. Um, all technologies tend to you know, need that beachhead, and iStent was that beachhead. Uh, it's great, and I think we are seeing with angle surgeries and other devices and, and different stenting devices, we are seeing a real revolution in glaucoma, so much so that I'm actually interested in it a little bit. Now, don't tell anyone that, but I, I really think that there's some, some huge advantages of taking care of our patients surgically who have glaucoma at the in the setting of cataract and refractive cataract surgery. So this may be a, a way we can add procedures, we can add value, and again, you know, get some uh, increased reimbursement for the value that we provide. Um, any parting thoughts, guys? We've got about a minute left here um, about what excites you, things that others should do to get involved. Yeah, yeah one other thing, and, and, and you guys are sort of masters of this, but uh, working with uh, physician extenders, let's say optometry or physician assistants, I think is a huge opportunity. You see the volume of work that's coming our way. And uh, yes, we might get, you know, say some cuts and reimbursement. We have an opportunity to work with other physicians that will do a lot of the care and we can focus in on what we do best. And uh, I know your practice has truly been, you know, a pioneer in that area. So I think you've, you've almost taken it for granted, but the, what you've done in that area, I think a lot of practices could follow footstep and kind of, you know, um, uh, you know basically make back some of the cuts that we're uh, getting hit with. Any final thoughts, Lance? Um, just real quickly, first of all, everybody in here is really lucky to be an ophthalmologist or an optometrist or a resident or a fellow. It's really, I, I feel it's the best for me. If you're a problem solver, it's, it's very gratifying. Um, so keep that in mind. And I want to leave you with one other thing. There's lots of things to do here to increase revenue, but Jerry Freeman in uh, Nashville or Memphis, I think, he put his hands together and, and said, look at the top where my fingers go together. He said, that's the point of it. That's the patient. And if you put the patient right there and you pick your resources and your, I'm sorry, your opportunities and your technologies wisely, you'll advance that. And if you keep your focus on that, everything's going to fall into place. Well, I don't think we could end it on any better note, uh, just talking about how the patients are always uh, our number one priority. All the other, all the rest of it are the details. Um, and they matter, but keeping the patient first is, uh, is absolutely about pinnacle. All right, thank you guys so much for being a part of Off the Grid Live. It has been a real honor to share the, the stage and the microphone with you. So thank you so much. Despite reimbursement cuts, there are reasons to be excited about the future of cataract surgery. It's an opportunity to embrace different avenues like refractive cataract surgery, bilateral sequential cataract surgery, and MIGS. And as Dr. Ferguson said, the most important thing is to keep the focus on the patient and the rest will fall into place. Just as a quick note for listeners before we sign off, in the discussion that you just heard, Dr. Ferguson commented that residents from the University of Louisville and the University of Kentucky come to his practice to observe LASIK, but they do not participate with him specifically. We want to clarify that in the training programs themselves, the residents are being certified to perform LASIK thanks to a collaboration with Johnson & Johnson Vision. 
Thanks to our listeners for tuning in for this special live episode. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Until next time. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast produced by Bryn Mawr Communications and supported by advertising from Alcon. For a full listing of podcasts for eye care professionals, go to itube.net forward slash podcasts. That's itube, E-Y-E-T-U-B-E dot net.